Alright everybody, so thanks for stopping by. <laughs> uh, Matt and Andrew here are going to be giving a talk about uh, tight pad motion, uh, six apart. From there they'll introduce themselves a bit more. Probably. Uh, after that we'll probably just make some general announcements about some of the stuff coming out with Django and we see and welcome Python stuff. And then uh, I guess I'll give a short talk about some stuff with Django. So. <laughs> thanks. Alright. Typehead Motion, next. Uh, as you can see up there, I'm Matt, this is Andrew. Um, so we work at Six Apart, uh, which you may know as the makers of Typehead, Movable Type, Box, and a whole bunch of open source technologies too. Um, we work on the services group. Uh, I am typically more of a front-end developer and product manager, and Andrew's a... Um, a developer. <laughs> so... I've been with Six Part for about a year and a half, almost two years. Andrew's been there since April. Yeah. So, uh, as a services group, we basically act as a web consultancy, not too far off from what like Huge is. Um, but obviously, we're working primarily with Six Part products. Uh, so, obviously, we have uh, developers, and our main office is in San Francisco. So, this is a portion of the team who helped develop TypePad Motion. Um, and that's, so part of what that is, and I'm going to talk more about, obviously, what type of motion is, but um, you know, we have an API team, which works on all the, the data as aspects, and we have the motion team, which actually built the motion app itself. So it's kind of a mix of them, and there's a few more. So, all right, what is motion? So if you guys are at all, have any, have heard of movable type motion, <laughs> it's, the idea is similar, but it's totally new. Obviously, it's uh, Django-based. Um, so, but it's a community microblogging platform. So, I kind of describe it as Facebook in a box. Um, it's you know lets you kind of, or a Tumblr in a box really. It's something you can install that that lets you you know kind of do like the post what you mean stuff. So, posting photos, posting videos, text. It lets you kind of build a community. Um, and part of what we're doing is making it so that people can easily brand those experiences. Because obviously, with Facebook or whatever, you're kind of stuck with whatever limitations they give you, like, you know, a background color and if that. So this lets you get, you know, it's Django, so you can totally revamp it. Um, so what we're doing is, even though the app was installable, all the data lives in TypePad, um, except for, that's why I have a little almost, uh, session data, and we do have uh, custom profile fields. So those live in whatever database you want locally. All right, so I'm going to show you guys a little bit about... Oh, there's a couple live sites just so you can see what it looks like. So this is TypePad Motion. This is just a, this is the stock install. You know, when you install it, this is what it'll look like. And we're gonna do a live a live install too, so I'll show you that. But um, you see the default view is just you're seeing everyone's activity. Uh, so you know, posting photos, posting YouTube links, etc. I just clicked on someone. So I'm gonna sign in. see a very you know typical text posting box post links photos video which is just you do, this is actually it's nice you can drop either the URL or the embed code in it figures it out and then audio as well um, like most things you have following something that I kind of like about it is that since there are multiple 
motion communities that are built off of TypePad. You know, I also have my TypePad profile, and I have my friends on TypePad. So if my friends are already part of a motion community, when I join that community, they're already my friends on the new community. So it's like you almost have a built-in followers list right away. So it's something nice where it's, you know, you're still in your own world, your own ecosystem that you can build on top of, but you can have access to all that data that already lives out there. So, you know, pretty simple. Favoriting, commenting, etc. Um, I'll show you a couple other just so you can share, see what it looks like elsewhere. Uh, this is our favorite new one. MamamaMeow.com, the best cat uh, community on the internet. Yeah, uh, it's the best that has been developed in the last two weeks. Um, <laughs> so there's a little cat. So if you notice, Matt is still signed in because it's obviously contacting TypePad, which is kind of a neat feature. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing I'll show you, I'll have to find a community that I'm not a member of, but obviously you're not automatically a member of every community. There's a handshake that takes place saying, hey, do you actually want to be a part of this and have your stuff on this community show up on TypePad? No, post is just the one community. But so I'll show you. So like, you know, if I post right now, uh, that's fine. Funny cat. I don't think this has been posted yet. So obviously we have to post it. Downloads is fine. Does it matter? Yeah. All oh, right, because it's the demo. Right. Yep. Oops. That's fine. Right. So, so this is kind of like a Tumblr-esque. Exactly. It's, it is Tumblr-esque. Uh, So when it's doing this, it's sending the data into TypePad, and then when you actually look again, it's obviously pulling it back. So, all right, so we have this here. It is funny. So now if you go to, I hover here, this should take me to my TypePad profile. So, and it should, it must be that cache Oh, that's not showing. In theory, it would show that I posted that just now, but why oh, it's not? It's funny. Anyway, but you'll see it does show other things like I added a favorite on my meow. So this is my general TypePad profile, but it also show any other activities I have just in TypePad in general. So yeah, like I posted an entry, etc. All right, so let's jump back into the presentation. We'll go through more of the explanations of how it works and what it does as we go through this. All right, so uh, as I kind of hinted at, this is like the very most simplistic diagram of what it's doing. So the user is hitting motion, and then it's pulling all the data straight from TypePad. Um, and we are uh, using OAuth for all of the uh, authentication. So that's happening through TypePad. So basically when you sign up for a motion community, you, know, you don't need to have a TypePad account, um, but so you'll, you'll pass in your whatever, Twitter or any, any OAuth or any um, OpenID uh, account, um, and you, you'll auth in. And it does create a, a profile account in TypePad that's tied to that user, but it'll be seamless. You never have to use anything. Else. I mean, same as most OAuth, just use your same installer credentials. This is kind of a, a little more complicated, slightly more complicated view of what it's doing. So, I'm going to throw my notes on this one. 
Oh, did I not read the notes? Boom. No notes. Yeah. So, uh, we'll start at the bottom. Obviously, we know about TypePad. That's where the data is. Remote objects and batch HTTP. So those are two, uh, two projects that we actually will talk about a little bit later, but those are both open source projects that we think have a lot of reusable aspects in them. Uh, Andrew's going to talk about that later in the talk. And then, so the Py Python TypePad API is basically just a series of Python libraries that helps talk to the API and convert everything to make it Django happy. And then TypePad app and TypePad motion are basically the layers where inside of, you know, that are the Django front, uh, the Django pieces, basically. They're, they're where turning all that stuff into, into Django. As I mentioned before, it's all open source. So that's, I, I'll say it's all open source except for obviously TypePad itself and the APIs. I and mean, you can use the APIs, but we'll be giving away TypePad anytime soon. Um, so yeah, feel free to use our, utilize our techniques and steal our code. And um, you know, we are looking for people to kind of give back. So you know, I'm hoping that some of you guys start to play with it a bit more. We're always looking for new ways to, to improve it. Um, so yeah, so the three things we really wanted were making it easy to install, which we'll show you. I'll do a quick install. It takes about five or 10 minutes. Um, easy to extend, which is why we use Django. And easy to integrate, again, why we use Django. So uh, this is the kind of the basics. So if you guys want to download this, I'll be there, but I'm going to do a quick install. So, uh, this is our developer website. And if you actually do it, the first thing you want to do is documentation, install motion. So, you know all this stuff. But this is kind of the basics. Obviously, Django, Python. Um, you'll also need a TypePad API key, which any TypePad account you can get. So I believe that any of the OAuth ones, you can sign in with that and still get to the API keys. And then obviously grab the open source code. So we'll just go through this. Obviously we have, we know we have Python on this machine. We know it's working. Uh, and we also, is everyone here familiar with easy install? I'm guessing, just for a while I can, yeah. I'm guessing I can skip that part. So easy install, basically, it's a nice interface to pip that gives, gives instructions. PyPy, that's you. So I meant to say. <laughs> so all right. So this is all you do to install motion. Um, let's go back to iTerm. So I uh, I put it into a virtual environment. Um, I don't know if you, any of you guys use virtual environments, but especially for me, either on both on demo accounts and on my own machine, I tend to use them a lot. Uh, it just is a really nice way to keep everything separate and from affecting other pieces. So when we install motion, it'll install Python and whatever other pieces it needs into the environment. So that you're not affecting the global aspects, the global uh, uh, applications on your machine. So, all right, I'm gonna do a lot of copying and pasting. Yeah, I know you. Know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, we need to watch for a minute. Um, and while that's going, yeah, I will. I will say all this stuff is on GitHub, so. It's easy to check out the look at the requirements file, look at all the stuff, all the internals. It's all there. Um, <coughs> and then while well, this is going, I'll tell you we do have uh, motion. So motion 1.02 is what's out right now, and GitHub 1.1 is coming not this week, next week. And so it, uh, the most exciting it adds to the little sneak preview for you guys is kind of cross-posting, so that when I post. To when I actually post something to my motion community, there's two little checkboxes to cross post to Twitter or Facebook. So, yeah. 
No, we're not. I'll get into that. Okay. Yeah. Since we're each cloud, we're going to do that same thing. Yeah, this is the type of This actually, does it work on App Engine now? That, so we've, we've been playing with App Engine and we're trying to get a, an App Engine out there. So, but it's, um, but yes, we've got it to work on it. No, we don't have anything that you can get to today, but you, you will, absolutely. But it's still using the type pattern as the data store. Right. And then, and obviously, I mean, the, the, I'll show you where those are, but the APIs are also open. If you guys wanted to use the type N API for another Django project or another project for anything, it's all there. So. You basically provide the password? Yeah, I mean, it's, you're, you have access to we're, we'll obviously be expanding it, but right now it's the API was initially focused on getting working with motion, but we'll we'll be expanding to touch almost every area of TypePad at some point. Yeah, so yeah, I should have mentioned that, shouldn't I have? Uh, so TypePad is, I mean, it's a hosted web logging tool, so it's similar to you know WordPress.com or Blogspot, except it's for pay, so you do have a lot more options. You know, it goes anywhere from like the basic setup to advanced to even business class. Um, and basic is you have a bunch of themes to choose from and a fair number more uh, configurations than you do in WordPress.com uh, and advanced is like basically like movable type or any other template you know CMS template based CMS where you can fully create your own templates and, and build it all from scratch so um, <clears throat> that being said you don't need to have a pay account to create a motion exactly yeah, anyone can create a TypePad profile right now, and it doesn't matter what you are. That, which gives you access to the API stuff, gives you access to commenting on anyone's site, and you know gives you a profile page. So, all right. It is, yeah. So you pay a monthly fee. I think it goes start. I think it starts at five dollars and goes up to fifteen for most plans. Then our business class plan is is more, but it's but it's primarily for you. Get, you get um better support, better you know, interaction with our, our resources. So, Right, yeah, I mean, if you had a... Oh, here, yeah, you're right, there's no reason to upgrade. Yeah, I mean, business class is like if you had a client and they want to be able to say, I need to get a hold, you know, call someone on the phone, or I need, you know, 12-hour turnaround or whatever it is, that's when you do business class. There's no, I don't believe there are any extra features above the pro level. All right, so... Uh, is installed. Now we're going to go ahead and create uh, a project. So there we go. Now we have our end and my motion. And uh, and just for those who don't know, all of our files are in that end directory now. So if you do want to ever kind of look, you know, somewhere different than GitHub, you want to look through the files and see what's actually in the internals. That's if you're doing a virtual environment, that's what all live. All right. So we've created a directory. Or our, excuse me, our project. By motion, and now we can. At this point, we can basically just do the run server to show it's working. So, so it worked. Done. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so obviously, we haven't connected the typepad, so there's no way we could possibly be done. So uh, the next step is, which I'll show you, is actually configuring the OAuth credentials. So there's a local settings file that you know, we obviously have a settings file with a whole bunch of things, and those 
features are all configured, are all listed on the developer typepad site, but I won't go through all that stuff today. Um, but this is the most basic thing you need to start with. So I'm going to head back into typepad. Dashboard. So I go to account, API key, and so you see I already have a couple stuff put together, a couple put together. So here's another test when I set set up, you know. So, but in terms of creating a new one, apply for API key. So it's you basically just give the site name and the URL, um, and the URL is is what you'll need. So when it makes a round trip after doing the auth. That's where it's sending you back to, and that's where it's building all the URLs off of. So I would recommend if you are, you want to play with Motion, you'll probably want to create two key, two sets of keys for. Um, or really, I, what I do is I have one key that's like my local testing set of keys, just so I can put in like my 127.001, and they'll have another one for the actual development server. So I just keep one typically, um, but if you want to have two for the same thing, you can. One thing we're working on is you create two sets of keys. That is two groups. So whatever you post into one group wouldn't show up in the production group. So that's why I kind of just keep one locally just to deal with templates and getting things set up and just have a test set of data always there to play with. And then I'll have the production one that's clean. So make a new one. Uh, go C. Oh. Oops. Never, I didn't want to agree, but I have a choice. All right, so here are our keys. So I am going to copy this. All right, let's jump out of this real quick. All right, so here's our basics, by the way, so you can see what it looks like. <clears throat> so we have our local settings file. So I will edit it. Later. Save, and then you can see down here. But this is how, you, if you wanted to use something other than SQLite, this is where you set that up. And we've primarily used it with MySQL, but I, I'm, we've tested with, I believe, we tested with Postgres. I know that, I know, I know, I personally, from experience, it works for MySQL, and I'm fairly confident we've done QA and Postgres. So I know at least those two work. And obviously, uh, SQLite. All right, so back to true instructions. So we'll have to sync DB next after we do this. You don't have the um, extra profile stuff when you use the sessions for you have So currently, it creates three tables. Um, there's typepad app token, which is for the OAuth tokens. Yes, here, here. There's a sessions table. Sessions and uh, that's it. So yeah, right now that you do have to use those for sessions and 
but the eventual goal is to not use other tables. Not today. <laughs> 1.02, you get sessions. <laughs> so, all right, so we've done sync DB. Now, I believe we should just want to run server again. Yep. Um, you'll see here we have the you know, motion project contains a file called app.wizgy. So, we recommend using Wizgy, mod, mod, mod Wizgy in production environments. Um, so, there are instructions about setting, or details about how we set up Mod Wizgy and our recommendations. Uh, I won't go through that now, but it's all on the developer.typepad site. All right, so back to run server. Cross my fingers. So yeah, obviously there's no members. It's all local, but <laughs> here we go. So that's, I mean, that's basically it. Um, we're now running. And everything after this is pretty much all standard Django stuff. So I'll show you guys in the... Oh, yeah, I will show you that. Actually, that's, I, it's funny. When you use this thing every day, it's like you forget about the little things. So we have a nice debug panel. Um, you won't see as much because there isn't as much on this site, but it does show you all the sub-requests. Which will, these will be a little bit more relevant. When you have data. <laughs> well, no, in a few minutes. Right, yeah. So, but you can do stack traces and up the payload as well. So it shows you where everything's going. Uh, it's yeah, exactly. It's showing you all the all the the requests that are being made, and and the reason why we'll talk about this, why we have the Doug bug panel, is because uh, the the simple version of what batch HTTP does is it it you know all our HTTP requests get batched into one request to the server, and so that way this gives you access to all that those sub requests that are coming back. Otherwise, you would it would just look like one request, and it, you'd have to do the work of of breaking it apart. It'll so make more sense. Yeah. <laughs> So, and then I'll just show you the, oops, hold on. So, right, I mean, this is just the cheat sheet. If you want to go in more, I mean, this stuff, if you guys have had some experience with Django, which I assume most of you have, um, you know, the rest of it's just creating an app, creating templates, etc. Um, so, I'm happy, in fact, you know, I'm happy at some point later, if you guys ever want to see more of this, I'm happy to do it, but just for time's sake, I'll probably skip this step today. Um, but this is all here for you to play with. All right, let's head back to the presentation. All right, I'm gonna let Andrew take over from here. Sure. So basically, uh, one of the goals we had, we said was uh, that it was easy to install. So we have, everything's in PyPy right now. Um, there's a pip requirements file that you can use if, if you play that game. Um, and we have custom management commands, which is really kind of, kind of interesting because what we can do basically is uh, give you a skeleton of you know, a basic typepad app um, with all these sort of same defaults. Um, and the, yeah, management commands, I should have skipped slides, but whatever. <laughs> so um, as some of you know, Django, the uh, management commands, you basically just create a class and subclasses um, base command, um, and create a class called command inside um, uh, management commands within an app, right? Um, so Motion has that sort of setup right now, and there's like type out app um, and a few other commands, which I 
can't think of off the top of my head. Um, and it's really kind of slick the way it does that. It just goes through and looks through that sort of thing. So we take advantage of that. The problem is djangoadmin.py does not know about motion um, you know, because it doesn't know that there's this motion app in your, your uh, site packages that happens to be a motion app. So you can do the dash dash settings and then pass it motion app settings, which is the workaround for that. So uh, Matt started looking at that. So manage.py, typepad app, my app. And this works fine because now, you know, the uh, motion directory is, or the, um, yeah, the motion directory is in your installed apps and everything works fine. Um, base templates, Matt started talking about. All of the templates um, inherit from like motion base something. Uh, and the good thing about this is um, basically that you don't have to create views that pass like a template name parameter like you do in the, the Django generic views, um, which is pretty handy. Everything's kind of a, a standard sort of sort of setup. You can just extend this with blocks and you know, change the way the templates look. Um, Mike Malone uh, is responsible for a patch that I think is in review right now for Django 1.2, which is a template caching mechanism. So Motion's got hundreds of templates. So for each request, it's um, lexing, parsing, and all this other stuff. So his patch basically um, caches the parsed results and stores that so that that, that doesn't have to be done every single time. Um, so you can find more on this ticket, which you can't read back there, I'm sure. But I think we'll probably make these slides available. Yeah. So. Um, and Motion uses class-based views. Um, so basically, the, the win here is that uh, we can wrap up um, all of our batch HTTP requests, which I'm going to get to in a second. I know I've been, we've been talking about it. And <laughs> everybody's kind of like, what is this stuff? But um, so we can wrap that all up and do it within a, like one method, which will give you all access to your data. And then we can do things like conditional dispatch have a post method so that you know, the method gets called on post or get if it's called on get. Or I think there's actually even like an is Ajax sort of method which will call like post underscore Ajax if it happens to be an Ajax. Um, so there's some smart stuff going there. And it's easy to integrate because it's just another Django app. Um, there are some caveats there. Right now it doesn't work with the uh, Django admin. Uh, because we replaced off models user, um, which was a good and bad idea in a lot of cases because it doesn't allow us to use the Django admin right out of the box, but we're working on a fix for that. Um, so what would you look to use the admin for? Well, so, I mean, not really using the right. Models. right, so motion might be great alongside some other app, you know, um, and like we were saying before, Motion is just kind of an application that you can use right now that, that's available. But all of this other stuff, the, the batch HTTP requests, the TypePad app library that uh, Motion uses, can be used as any other Django app. So you could use the TypePad API with the Motion sort of structure for anything else you want. Um, so let's say I have Stuff like that. 
Unfortunately, there's there's really no integration path at this point uh, with that. So, right. Well, we rely heavily on OAuth, um, and it just makes sense uh, in a lot of cases to have request.user um, represent the the typepad user, so that we can just do request.user.notifications, for instance, and get all of the notifications that are right. Yeah. So it was a, de a design decision that, unfortunately, I wasn't a part of, um, and I really don't know the logic behind it or or the arguments for or against it. So, yeah. and something to keep in mind. I mean, obviously, since part is a for-profit company, and you know, we want to have people. Either on the typepad network, and so that's I think I'm sure some of the decisions made, you know, were to obviously they weren't meant to ever hurt reusing it in the Django environment, but you know we made we made choices sometimes there were choices that made it easy for people to 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 access the typepad network, and and that's while I say it's a business decision, it's also kind of a user decision. If you think of someone who wants to join a community, you can already have you already have a typepad account, you already have since anything to OAuth available, I mean, it's very easy to, to just join the community and start posting. Right. Right. Well, actually, this, this was kind of a significant topic at uh, DangoCon this year, and something that they basically brought up in this is kind of weird in that it's an app that's redistributed to people, um, but a fairly recurring theme is if the Django user model doesn't fit the model for your application, don't be afraid to roll your own. That's really just to keep the app. Because the app isn't, while it's a powerful feature, it's not necessarily right. everything to Django. Okay. I think the, at least the solution that they Right, but there, there, there's applications where that doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, and if nothing else, you're also then doing a join every single time you need to get the profile information, which you may not expect. So, I mean, there's there's arguments for and against. Yep. Um, and in situations where you don't need the admin or any other sort of things that uh, Django provides out of the box, um, I mean, we've got to remember that Django is a framework. It's not a set of apps that come with Django that everybody's going to use. So there's different requirements everywhere. And obviously, Six Apart is trying to address this because we want this to, to work within um, other people's apps as seamlessly as possible. Um, but right now, the decision was made that, that that's, it's not possible in a, you know, in a way that's going to please everybody at the moment. So we can talk more about this. this sure. So um, internally, I'm not sure what it was based on, if it was an original design or if someone else, or if it was based on someone else's uh, idea, but all of the, the motion views extend from a single uh, parent. It's a type pad view. 
um, which has you know a basic structure. So all of the views are derived from that. I'm sorry. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then that reminds me. Same we didn't mention is that if you guys were familiar with or used with accounts, it's kind of like Motion's grandfather or Godfather. But you know, Leah Culver and Mike Malone, they were you know Leah started it and Mike was obviously a developer on it. So they you know, they were some of the lead developers on Motion. So a lot of the work I don't think it was any direct code that went in. A lot of the work they built, they put into pounds, or the or the, the thoughts behind it went into to motion. So, so one other thing on that note is that um, Django doesn't really require that you use a function; it just requires that you use a callable. And since a class is a callable, then you know it kind of fits in there. There's other there's prior art in in class based views. So, yeah, it, I mean it's not original to us, certainly. The class-based views is not original to us. Like, there's definitely prior art to that. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure if we, you know, made use of that. I don't think we did. I think it was a custom solution, but it's probably based on some other principles that other people have done. So one thing that I, I should note again, and it's going to become much more apparent, is that we're not using a database to store the user. So we're still using, or we're actually using the TypePad cloud and using a, an AJAX, um, or not an AJAX, a, a JSON API, like a RESTful API. So like it, it's really just not possible to use like a model in that oh, okay. so. Sure. Uh, so we make heavy use of uh, HTTP Lib 2, um, and the reason that we're doing that is because it's a, an HTTP library that is very good, it supports a lot of features, um, and I would recommend it actually for um, things that you're doing. So that require HTTP requests, I think. <laughs> So um, OAuth and HTTP Lib 2, uh, Leah Culver, who is one of the people behind OAuth uh, panel of, I don't know how many people are actually on the committee, but she's one of them. Um, she created this uh, OAuth client, which is a, which uh, uses HTTP Lib 2, and basically you can just create an uh, OAuth HTTP object, in this case, using this sort of thing. Uh, and Works pretty good. This is used all over Notion. Um, so remote objects. Um, all of the the web services that we're using uh, for Motion are RESTful. So we do uh, get, put, you know, uh, delete, delete, and and post. Yes. Well, post. So, um, so remote objects is a library. It's on GitHub. Uh, it was released before TypePad Motion, actually. That allows you to create an, a Django ORM looking thing that contacts uh, a RESTful endpoint. So there's an example here. Um, so this is what the user class will sort of look like. 
And the user class in uh, Motion actually looks as much as possible like the uh, Django user model, uh, but it doesn't use a database, obviously. Um, so the idea was that it could be as um, close to possible, but not actually be it, and maybe it would work you know, in most cases. Um, and there's an example of uh, using it with Twitter. This is actually an example from Remote Objects, the examples directory, um, where you can basically just add your credentials, um, you know, get the timeline, which is defined in the, the Twitter endpoint uh, class, and then just iterate over the entries. Um, and you'll see that e.user.screenName, it's an object just like you would see um, if you were using Django RRM. Um, so remote objects is available on GitHub, uh, the six apart account. Um, so batch HTTP, finally the thing that we've been talking about a bunch. So, um, ooh, reserve power. <laughs> It's like, what did you do? <laughs> Exploded it. Your slideshow has been suspended, so you can address the issue. Thank you, Apple. All right, so you may be thinking, what, what the heck is batch HTTP? And basically, it's a method for retweet, retweeting. Uh, that's another project altogether. Uh, retweeting. <laughs> retweeting. Or, retrieving. Okay. Retrieving. Uh, multiple HTTP resources at, at one time. Um, and it should be noted that TypePad is, uh, API endpoints are RESTful, as we said before. Um, so they all work in the structure noun, ID, some sort of sub-resource, uh, and then some filters. And all filters use the at sign. Um, and there's Boolean filters and then as before, there was parameterized filters. Um, so all of the data on Motion's homepage comes from the TypePad API. Um, and these are the, the requests. So see, that's five resources, right? And how can you do that quickly? Well, so the design goals for batch HTTP, um, retrieve everything in parallel, and then um, basic goal was to you know, be as, as fast as possible and as quick as possible and not impact TypePad as much as possible since it is a scalable system and there's lots of users that would adversely be affected if we were hitting it five times, you know, parallel requests. So the other idea was to invent as little as possible. So the, the team looked at parallel HTTP requests, um, but and it's difficult to optimize because TypePad has to basically fork processes or you know, handle individual requests. Um, so there's also HTTP pipelining, which is great, but then you know, the order matters and you know, TypePad has to process them in order or do something complicated where it does a single one and then returns them in order. Order is the, the key thing there. Um, 
So the batch HTTP processing API, client makes requests, they go into a batch processor. The batch processor distributes them to all of the endpoints uh, and then puts them back together and you know, returns one resource. Um, so there's other things that do this. Uh, and you know, we looked at it, but it wasn't suiting our needs in the way they do it. So um, Martin Atkins, I believe, uh, wrote a, a spec for batch HTTP. And there's, um, yeah, so we'll get to that. So, <laughs> sorry, I lost my train of thought. So basically what, uh, what it's doing is it's creating like a mime message, multi-part mime message with all of the requests uh, and specific headers, and the, the key thing there is that there's a request ID that has to get returned um, in the response so that you can match up you know, the, the request with the response. And the, So, um, I mean, if you think of it, it's the batch processor makes its own HTTP request to the indicated resources like an HTTP proxy, um, but internally we're doing something a lot more clever and you, know, you can think of all sorts of ways that you could actually do that. Um, and basically it just breaks them up into to separate requests. Um, so this is what I was getting at before I got ahead of myself. Um, so Martin Atkins published uh, a basic spec. It's like eight pages. Uh, and then there's a, an example of an implementation uh, with a, um, a batch processing server uh, that's written in Twisted that you can take a look at if you're more interested in it. Um, but in order to make use of it, um, you just create a batch client uh, instance, attach the, the endpoint that you're, you're getting at, and then uh, this idiom comes up commonly in like OpenGL and a lot of other uh, libraries where you start a request or you start something and then perform a bunch of different things, it puts it in some sort of list and some sort of uh, variable and then you complete it and then, then it sends it off. In our case, we don't send it off until it's actually being used the same way that Django does sort of the lazy evaluation of uh, the LRM. Um, and if you want more information, there's lots more information on developer.typepad.com. Right. Uh, yeah, we, this, we saw this before. <laughs> so yeah, and our GitHub account has, and you'll see there we have TypePad Motion, TypePad App, other Python type API and those remote objects and batch HTTP are both there as well. And then for a few more resources if you're interested, we have Google Groups. Uh, if you want to get talk a little more, have some more questions after the fact. Um, we're on Freenode at TypePad Dev. Um, and then Specialist Your Boss, that URL is kind of more of like a, a brochureware type site that just talks about what motion does and why you know, people might want to use it. Um, that's it. So, uh, I'll take some questions now if anyone has any other questions. Otherwise, you can drink.
So, um, I guess, did you guys run into kind of any uh, particular problems during the package to, to release a, a fully deployable application based on Django? Because um, I know it's, it's something that's still kind of a, there's a fairly established method for assuming like we use glass, but whole systems are kind of still a bit up in the air. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, part of the reason we wanted to make it easy is so, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you gathered at this point that uh, Andrew's far more knowledgeable about Django and Python than I am. And so the goal was that people like me who have, or even not as knowledgeable as me about Django, you know, can easily say, oh, easy install, deadbed motion. Okay, now I, I know HTML, CSS, I'll have to just follow those instructions, and I can create a cat community or whatever. So so that was one of our goals, and, and so it was really important for us to do that. Um, and we're hoping to actually get not just do like easy install, but also you know some of like those one-click shared hosting installs for the shared hosts to actually do support uh, Python and Django. So, but if you right. notice the like as much as easy install helped, obviously there was still you know start a type out app with you know, Django admin and all that kind of stuff. So, I think um, <coughs> you know there's a lot to be explored, and obviously there isn't a great solution yet. But I think what we what the, well, what the San Francisco office accomplished in doing this, did a pretty good job at making it easy. I mean, it was basically three steps to, to install. So um, can we get it down to one and make it something that everybody in the Jagger community can use? I mean, I don't know. Um, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. We have some clever people working. Um, <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But yeah. Definitely if you guys have some ideas. Yeah, you know, I'll get some more information on that because it's that's most of the San Francisco office who's working on that. So um, I'll find out, but I'll either post it to the Django NYC email list or or our developer typepad or whatever. But once I once I know more, I'll let you know. One of the pages on uh, developer.typepad.com uh, is about, or maybe I'm guessing it's there, but it's about. Um, <laughs> We'll find out. A lot of the hosts that we've, yeah, yeah, hosting providers that we know that it works on, um, and that, uh, but you know, we've tested that. we're obviously testing a lot more. Um, it works as of probably a couple of days ago on a small orange, which is a very small web hosting provider. You can get a, like a five dollar a year account for. 75 minutes of storage or something. You can install motion on that. I can use the image for the CP, right? That's definitely being worked on. I'm not sure what the problem is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, our goal is to have it as accessible and easy to, to get anywhere you want. So, we, yeah, like Andrew said, we're definitely working on it. I also don't know if there's an official timetable for when we've released that image, but. If there's anything that would benefit it getting out more, I'm sure we will put it out there, you know? So and it's possible that we already have it and you know, the system documentation hasn't been updated or you know, the type hides haven't been made aware of it. So if you post to the, the type hat dev community or hop on three node, um, definitely Yeah. Someone will be able to either give it to you or or show you how to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, 
Sure. So yeah, most of the actual development of the app was built in San Francisco. Um, what we've done is we kind of were did some of the testing and, and we built out a bunch of sites to start with to kind of help them refine what it looks like. And we've also been extending it some. So Andrew and a few of our other developers who are you know, Django developers have, have built some things on, to, on top of Django, on top of Motion a little bit. Not really anything complicated at this point, but um, you know, just small little add-ons. So as Matt was saying, we're the services group. Uh, which is based in New York City. So we don't really do too much of the engineering work that goes on uh, as far as uh, what Six Apart actually does. But we do make a lot of customizations. A lot of the stuff that uh, we run into when we're doing stuff for clients, we feed back into the engineering team and they'll add new features. Um, that it kind of works pretty good enough. Because we know what, what users are experiencing and what, what problems people have. <laughs> Yeah, we are users, are, so we, yeah, we know exactly. what we're experiencing. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. That's I mean that's you know that was I think when because we were services was originally a separate consultancy when it was acquired a year and a half ago. So you know we were I think that was part of the six aparts um, goal of having a, a services group is that you know, you're using your own products on a daily basis and it makes it better and you know, it also helps spread the products around. But um, I lost my train of thought. I don't know. Anyway, I'm sure it was important. I'll think of it later. Um, yes. uh, yeah. Watching the sky with your uh, iPad, uh, I mean, it's a kind of slow. Uh, I'm currently looking at MongoDB for one way for us. I'd like to swap your user model with the original model with the MongoDB. So, so there's there's probably quite a few ways to approach it. Probably the easiest way to approach it would be to mimic the TypePad APIs, uh, because there's nothing really saying that it has to type or talk directly to TypePad, right? I mean, there's customizable endpoints that you could, you could move to. The thing that would be difficult would be, um, in, in that case, would be, you know, like, you'd probably have to rewrite a lot of stuff because it is making, or it is making a lot of assumptions that things that are coming back are JSON and things like that. So if you were to mimic what came back from the APIs with the same sort of endpoint URLs, you would have no problem. Um, that said, it's probably a lot of work to, to do that sort of thing. And to really get the, the full benefit, you would have to implement uh, a batch HTTP uh, proxy to, to do that sort of thing. Well, I just always just speaking for the user model. Oh, for the user model. So it is, TypePad can be used, um, like you can use a TypePad account and authenticate via OAuth with you know, the same sort of same sort of standard OAuth procedures you would use at other places. So, I mean, as far as using TypePad with Django, you could um, just create uh, a backend, like the, the, the authorization or the authentication backend class. The, 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 yeah. And then just. You know, 
to our app, it's it's pretty much very, required. Very very coupled. Does your batch There there is an uh, an implementation based on Twisted that's in there, just kind of as an example um, that you can play with, um, but it's not what's what's going to be used on Python. You know Mike Moore, right? I'm pretty sure that he wrote it, so you could probably just ask him. <laughs> he probably gave it to you. It, it's available. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's called batch processor.py and batch HTTP repository. So you have a lot of batch around your Oh, so that's something that we should show. The, because that'll make more sense now. Without the, this? Yeah. So this debugging information that you can't really see because the screen? That's crazy, so, yeah. So for that page load, there was two requests that were made. And so if you look at the URL, the, the first one, there's uh, slash groups, and then an ID of the group, events.json, and then some other parameters. Uh, if you look at the, the payload, the last sure. link, so this is what was returned. Obviously, there's nothing in this group at the moment. But if you sign in, yeah, I'll, I'll send it out post links. So we can see a little more data. Okay, so this is the screen I was going to show you. So this is like a typical user. If you're already signed into TypePad, they have that that cookie already there in the session. It just says, "Hey, are you sure you want to actually join the site and have it show up and have, have the data show up on TypePad?" <coughs> So now that he's actually signed in, this is the basically a screenshot of what, or basically that screenshot that was in there that showed the five different uh, requests that was happening. These are all of those requests, right? And if you look, um, memberships member, the yeah, third one down. If you go to the payload link on that, you can see it. Like this is all the stuff that's coming back. So to answer your, well, I guess it wasn't actually your question before, but if you wanted to, <laughs> to not use TypePad, you would just basically have to mimic these URLs. It's okay. My English isn't very good either. No, so rem remote objects makes that pretty easy. So if you go yeah, to switch it up. So I'll show you uh, one of the views. Um, so member Group events is fine. Yeah, plus. So basically, um, we have this select from typepad method, which will wrap up that batch HTTP request. So it'll do, it'll create the, the client that you saw that code uh, sampled before. It'll create the client, call this method, which 
these will all these are all basically equivalent to um, the um, client dot batch and then the request. So these will just make a, a URL that will basically become a promise to call that URL later, right? And then uh, after this method is finished calling or it's done, um, it will close that batch HTTP request and eventually make the request. So there's some complicated stuff that's in there uh, that I'm not, unfortunately, too familiar with. Right, but it seems like it's kind of cowards. I mean, this code here doesn't look that much more different than what you exactly. call calls. So the, the biggest difference, really, is that um, like it, yeah, it looks exactly like the ORM calls that you would have. Uh, the biggest difference is that you have to make um, all of the requests that use the API in a batch. Uh, and if you use the type pad views, the, the subclass, what is it? It's a uh, type pad view. If you use that, it'll set that up automatically as long as you put all of those requests uh, within the select from type pad method within that class. But any uh, conditional No, you wouldn't necessarily have to. Um, you could, you wouldn't have to have, like you could still use the same one, right? Um, in your, I don't remember, I guess it's set up. In your setup, you could basically, if the user is authenticated, this is actually a great example, like you set up all this other stuff, right? Uh, and then, again, if the user is authenticated, you're doing one thing. Uh, if they're not authenticated, you're not doing anything, right? So basically, this is a no-op in that case. Does that, make, does that answer your question? Yes. OK. Um, so you get some uh, special code. Right, exactly. So I mean, you could do it the, the same way. Like in the slides, there was um, some example code of how to use the batch HTTP library. But if you wanted to, if you were using it in the context of uh, Django and extending um, motion in some way or creating some other thing, there's prior art to just use it um, and not have to worry about it. Any other questions? Sure. Um, there's, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, if you go there and go to the top to documentation, the first section's all in API. So the type at JSON API, API has all the methods, all the filters, all the everything there. It's long. As you can see on the right, it's a very small nugget. Like just following or something. Sick. There you go. Yeah. So down here, there's. Yeah, so so it's it's all pretty well documented. It might take a little while to get to find it because there's a lot of concepts being addressed. Yeah. Each endpoint obviously has its own different set of filters or no filters depending on what the endpoint is. So. 
we've kind of taken up a lot of time, so. Yeah, maybe. sure. Why don't we save any other questions? We'll be around after to talk about drinking and Thank you very much to those guys, to you guys. Um, <laughs> cool. So, um, to talk about some stuff kind of coming up with Django NYC and some format stuff, if you will. Uh, going forward, we're going to try and continue to do the streaming stuff and recording and posting stuff up. Uh, with the recordings, we're looking at either putting together a video podcast or somehow feeding it into the Django Dose stuff with the... Uh, those guys, we're still kind of in the works with that, so we'll see what comes out of it. Um, but we're trying to put it up in ways that it's more reusable so that you can either come back and refer to it, uh, or if you can't make it out to the meeting, you can kind of watch it later, stuff like that. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, we're also, as always, looking for general people to give general talks uh, like this. Uh, we're also looking to probably do two or three lightning talks uh, each meeting going forward if we can. Um, if you're not familiar with lightning talks, the idea is it's a five-minute talk. It can be about anything you want, although generally people will be happier if it's related to the topic of the meeting. Um, it's a strict five minutes. You will be cut off if you don't finish. And uh, there's no time for question and answers. So that any question and answers, take it off. Um, so it's kind of nice in that it's a really good way to just, A, get yourself used to public speaking uh, if you're not so used to that. It also is really nice for just quickly getting some information out about something and kind of just spreading something interesting without necessarily putting in the work for a 40 or 20 minute talk. Um, so if anybody has ideas for lightning talks, uh, get in touch with Justin or I, or even just come with your slides on a thumb drive and, you know, grab me before the meeting starts and we can set you up with that. So uh, that's that. Uh, next month's meeting, we're still working out some last-minute details, but it's going to be actually a joint NYC Python Django NYC meeting. Um, a, to make things a bit easier on us and easier on everybody else with all the craziness of the holidays. Um, we'll put out some info on the list once we got that figured out, um, which should hopefully be in the next couple of days. Uh, we're also doing a tutorial session. Um, so last month, we're... Yes, last month now. We did a hack night for kind of more advanced people who already have project, projects in proge progress. Um, and that went relatively well. Um, there's definitely been a lot of interest expressed for a tutorial. Um, so we're putting that together. The date is going to be something that I don't remember. But uh, 19th. There you go. Uh, if you go to the meetup page, I don't actually know how to... Where are you? Right above it. Oh, here we go. Ah, fanciness. All right. Um, but if you just go up to the meetup page, there should be the next event coming up. Be good if I went to the specific group. Let's see. Yeah, here we go. Uh, here we go. Intro tutorial. Nineteenth. Our friends from Six Apart are kind enough to provide the hosting for that. Um, right now, it looks like actually all the RSVPs are taken. Um, but if you're interested in coming, still definitely put your name in for it. Uh, we might have to figure out if there's a bit more room or there's always a bunch of people whose plans changed last minute. I think this meeting is a prime example. I think there was a waiting list of 15 people at one point, and now it's, you know, there's, there's plenty of room for everybody. So. Yeah, we, we could probably fit another, at least another five or ten people. 
So. Right, yeah. So we'll, we'll probably maybe bump that number up a little bit, but um, definitely feel free to put your name in if you're interested. The idea of the event is going to basically be um, you come with your laptop and attempt to install Django and go through the official tutorial yourself. But we'll have a bunch of people there who are, you know, familiar with Django to, to answer any questions they have or provide some guidance and basically an opportunity to kind of do that in an environment where you can get answers quickly without necessarily having to dig around too much. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Oh yes, that's something else. Today we're switching over the mailing list from Google Groups to uh, Meetup. Uh, I don't necessarily have a problem with Google Groups, but it just kind of lets us centralize our user base in one place. So um, that'll be happening, I guess. Tonight when I get home, I'll lock up the Google Group and everything will go through Django NYC. Um, I think that's about it for announcements. Uh, oh yeah, Dave, do you want to... Um, and I guess one last bit uh, before I give my quick talk, or two last bits. One, I should have mentioned before, uh, for anybody who's not been here before, or usually after the meeting, we just go over to a local bar and just hang out and have some drinks and uh, have some food. Uh, so it's good. Obviously, everybody's welcome. Um, also, very recently, uh, Jeff recently just made a, a big release on Fabric. Uh, if you're not familiar, it's a deployment tool. Looks like it should be pretty cool. I'm not going to necessarily put him on a spot to talk about it too much now, but he put out a, a notice on the mailing list about it, so if you're, if you're interested, go check it out. Um, yeah, yeah, it was actually the first post on there, so um, should be pretty easy. <laughs> cool, so there you go. Um, so yeah, definitely if you're looking at doing any kind of deployment stuff, check it out. It's uh, pretty some nice stuff, and this release definitely takes care of a lot of the um, oddities, if we well, in the older version of Fabric, so it's pretty nice. Um. Cool. So on to the talk. So this is just going to be a quick thing on some uh, bad Django sense. The idea is here, 
there's this kind of concept out there of, of code smells or anti-patterns. It is, is it's not, not, you may have good reasons to do things, but generally if you come across these kind of things, it should set off a red flag in your head and you should know, mm, there's probably something I'm doing wrong there. Uh, or something I need to refactor there. Um, so kind of code smells kind of fall into the category of stuff like um, God, met, uh, and these, the, first I'll just go over some general kind of things and then some Django specific things. Uh, some, some common code smells would be uh, God methods, meaning like a method that just does everything. It kind of feeds the point of functions. Um, losing my mind now, I don't have my speaker notes. Uh, some other things would be, uh, let's say, similarly, God, God classes, where it just it's a class with you know, umpteen million methods that does everything. Um, and, and just generally, um, things that, that, that aren't going to lead you to well-modulized code or lead you down bad paths. Uh, anti-patterns, that's what Flickr came up with for anti-patterns. I guess it kind of works. Um, similar kind of thing, th these are, are more along the lines of things that people do frequently but are known to be bad. Um, and the examples of this are escaping me right now. Uh, yeah, I'll cheat. Here we go. So... Examples of this include, uh, so like the magic push button, the idea is, is actually putting your code in your, your business logic within your display code. So like actually in like the visual basic world, actually having the code for the button's action in the button, stuff like that. Again, God object. Um, a gas factory is something that goes beyond the scope of what you really need to do. So instead of just building a gas station, you're building a gas factory kind of idea. Uh, big ball of mud is basically just this nebulous ball of code that nobody actually knows what it does. It's again things you want to avoid. Right. Um, so here's one thing. Uh, so these are basically going to be bad code examples, things that should set up flags for you. Uh, this is a context processor, and there's some problems with it. Particularly, we're doing database calls. Uh, context processors will get invoked every single time you touch a template. And by that I mean if, let's say, you have a base template which is extended by another template which has five includes, you're going to call your context processor at every level there. So you're going to call that context processor seven times. So you really don't want to, the only thing context processors really should ever be used for is the last line there. Um, where you're, where you're pulling in settings. There, there might be a few other cases. You're going to do database calls and you need to cache it. Right. You either need to cache it, or really it probably either belongs in a template tag, a custom template tag, or maybe in a middleware. There, there's probably some place more appropriate for it to live other than this context processor. Sure. Oh, easily. Way more, even. So is every time you do an include of a template or extend a template, you're technically creating a new context? And it's calling all your context processors. So it, it's really nuts. You want to put as little in a context processor as you possibly can. And then what you do have to put in there, you want to make as efficient as possible. Because um, they're going to get called a lot. Um, kind of. So there's a few things you can do in that. You can either... Um, either put in uh, PDB calls in here, and while you're running, kind of go back up the stack. 
you can also, for the database-specific calls, you can either use something like Django Debug Toolbar or just look manually within your um, code and look at uh, connection.queries connection while you're in debug mode, and you'll get a log of the database queries that happens. So if you see the same query happening 100 times and it's what you're doing here, there's a good chance that's why it's happening. Um, but it, there, I wouldn't say there's anything specific to context processors. It would be more just general debugging tools. Um, so another idea is the uh, model to rule them all. Uh, so a really common pattern in object-oriented design, yeah, Justin and I learned this lesson recently. Um, so a really common pattern, and which is good in object-oriented design, is you have a base object with all your common attributes and then a bunch of other objects, child objects, which inherit from that. So in Django, you can do, by default, if you just inherit a model, you're going to do what's called multi-table inheritance. So all the attributes of your base object will live in one table, and then all these child objects will have their own tables with a foreign key up to the parent, and basically will automatically do the join when you do queries against it. Uh, basically, the problem with this is it's really, really, really horribly slow and will just lock your database. Um, it's basically, it's an, it's not a, it's an anti-pattern of relational database design is what it comes down to. Right, but isn't that uh, abstract? Right, so, so the reasons that, that people tend to go down this path, aside from just following object-oriented design and not knowing better, is ideas of like, let's say I wanted to do queries against, like let's say I had a um, visible or like some, some attribute on the base object that I want to get all the, the child objects which have that attribute in one query. This is kind of how you would do that, or a way to do that. It's, the problem is the cost of doing that is too high, basically, we, you'll find out. Unless you make it faster. Right, so, well, so, right, so, so, uh, So, right, so depending on exactly why you're doing this, if you're just doing it to keep your code centralized and to have your common attributes in one place and maybe common methods, there's, you can add a meta class to this and add an attribute of abstract equals true, I think, and that'll make an abstract-based class so that there will be no table for your base object, but all the attributes in base object will show up in the, the student table, the teacher table, the staff table, so on. The problem there is you can still only query within your child objects. You can't do a query against everything. If you need to do against everything, the best solution I've seen is to go to something more appropriate for doing global searches like solar or some, uh, some kind of, of, of search engine is really more appropriate for that kind of stuff because relational databases really aren't built to do queries against uh, various entities within the database. They're really only meant to do queries within a, a single entity type and, and relations within that. So. I, mean, I think the problem sure. is that the underlying representation of relational databases isn't really simple. This, this exactly. Sure. Yeah, no, this, this makes the assumption that you're using a relational database. And if you're using the Django ORM right now, 
you're using a relational database. There may be other domains where this is appropriate. Um, and like I said, for object-oriented design, this is perfectly appropriate and the way you'd go, but but it's going to really bite you in the ass. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a frustrating so. um, conflict between the two. Right. Exactly. So depending on what exactly you need to do, you either want to go for an abstract base class or the combination of abstract base class and some kind of search tool like Solar or something. If you need more specific functionality, you can build something with Lucene or uh, Woosh or uh, Sphinx. Yeah, there's a bunch of different things. Um, so yeah, that's another kind of anti-pattern we've run across. Uh, another one is iterating over... Well, there's kind of two things you run into here. This isn't necessarily always bad. Like I said, these aren't always bad. You may have specific situations where you want to do this. Um, but it's something that should set a red flag and you want to check what you're doing. The problems you're going to run into here are twofold. One is when you just iterate over a query set like this by itself, you're actually going to issue a separate query for each iteration to get each object which depending on your platform is generally going to be less than ideal, especially if you have a lot of objects. Um, the way to get around this would be if you cast the query set as a list, it'll get all of that, it'll do, get all your data back in one query and stick it in a list. The other thing you're looking at for here is the all. I mean, the, the, the example is kind of contrived, but you also want to be careful about always getting objects that all in that in a lot of situations, you're going to get back a lot more data than you really want to deal with in memory right now. Uh, and you should probably be doing some kind of pagination. So it's, it's, again, something that there may be perfectly appropriate uses of this. But it's something that when you come across it, you should kind of take a moment to stop and think, is this really what I want to be doing? Um, so here is something to look out for in your templates is here we have a model and it has a method that changes the data of the model or the data that the model represents. And in our template, we're calling that method. Um, it's something that, that, that is fairly easy to do depending on how you have stuff set up in your templates. They try and, Django templates are kind of funny in that they do a pretty good job of protecting you from putting logic in your templates, but it is still possible as shown here. Um, it only will happen if you have a method that doesn't expect any parameters since you can't pass parameters in Django, but this will call that method and will change the day in your database and your templates. And that's a really bad idea when you actually have to figure out why something's breaking. Since when can you do so. plus plus in The plus plus might not be. Okay. <laughs> I, I've been living in PHP land and it's started to contaminate my <laughs> Python code. It's rather unfortunate, but they Okay, so it may have changed. At some point it was doing it. It is possible. Okay, I guess the, the larger thing is be careful with query sets because I know, it, it, again, it may have gotten better with this since query set refactor. It definitely is fairly easy to end up doing 100 queries on your page 
because you're iterating over a query set. Right, Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. I I apologize if the the model the examples are kind of weak. Uh, was doing on fairly little sleep, so um, yeah. But the the gist of it was, there are situations where the LRM will be smart about getting things in batch. But if you're iterating iterating over a query set, be careful about what you're doing because it is possible to end up doing a few hundred queries on a page. And I guarantee you, when you start opening up debug toolbar or something, and you look at a page and go, "Oh dear Lord, why am I doing 500 database queries?" That could be why. <laughs> right, yeah. So there are wonderful tools out there like Debug Toolbar or um, various mechanisms for printing out your queries. Um, they do have the problem of browsers get really upset when you have more than about a meg of HTML coming back. Um, so yeah, it's something to be aware of. Um, something else, if you have a longer running process kind of related to that, if you have a long running process, make sure you have Debug Off. Because otherwise your memory use is just going to grow and grow and grow as that query log runs and, and builds. Um, I'm sorry, say that again? Right. It, again, it, it, the example is kind of contrived, but. Cool. Good to know. Um, yeah, like I said, the examples are kind of contrived, but it's kind of just to illustrate the point quickly. Um, so here's another one: is if your URL patterns file has more than, let's say, two dozen lines, you're probably doing something wrong. Um, the ways to get around this are, so the reasons that's wrong, the problems you run into are, uh, A, if you have enough, Python, you are actually making a method call here, and there is actually a limit to how many um, things you can pass into, parameters you can pass into a, a method, so you'll run into that eventually. Um, 255. <laughs> um, the other problem you're going to run into is kind of a performance problem. Uh, when a request comes in, it tries each of these regexes to see if it matches your thing. And if you have, let's say, 250 of these, and the URL that the user is trying to get to is the 250th, it's going to try 249 regexes before that and go, nope, 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 all the way down. Uh, also, it becomes a giant nightmare to maintain. Um, so the main way you deal with this is is you can add have includes for your URLs files. Um, 
So let's say, uh, in this example, I didn't really make it easy. But so let's say th there's those two another URLs there. You could just say slash another and not have the terminator, the dollar sign at the end of the regex, and then have the second parameter just say include and then uh, an include path for a URLs file. And then it'll try the regexes within that file and pop back out if it doesn't work. Yeah. You can do it that way. Um, yeah, there, you can also, if something that, that is also a, a useful pattern is to break up your URL patterns. So here, if you, what you can do is you can make multiple calls to the patterns function and basically say URL patterns plus equals patterns for all the other ones and you can organize in the same way that way. So sometimes one way to do that is along models. Usually you want to try and group them in the same ways. So it's easier to, to read and, and figure out what's going on. Um, it would be a way to get around that limit. Right, you, you can't actually pass one 255 parameters. Right, yeah, it's, it's one of those funny things in Django in that um, this looks like it's some special fancy file, but you're really just making a, a method call in a kind of weird way. Or a function call, I guess, in this case. Um, so yeah, if you have a whole lot of URLs, you're probably doing something wrong, and you should probably look into that. So... Um, there's another one. If you have a whole lot of views that are doing virtually the same thing, you're probably doing something wrong. In this specific case, if you have views that are just getting something and spitting it into a template, you're doing it wrong in that you, there are generic views that do this for you already. They're already written and they don't have bugs. Or at least they'll have less bugs than you have. Um, if they do have bugs, a lot of people will notice and complain and will fix it. Um, so you should use the generic views for this specific views. Um, if you have four or five views that are doing something very, very similar, you should probably write your own essentially generic view and just use it multiple times. Um, like I think Andrew brought up in, his, in, the, in their talk, all Django cares about for a view is that it has a callable. So that can be a function, it can be a class that implements the execute magic method or it can be a whole bunch of different things. All it cares is that it takes a request or it, the, the signature matches and that it can be called. Um, so you can reuse the same function uh, for a whole bunch of different views. So, you. Yes. Uh, there's also, you can, I think there's a middleware or is either a middleware or a context processor that you can also use to inject the request object into your, all your contexts, I think. Um, but yeah, all, all the generic views uh, that Django provides definitely just pass use request context. Uh, they're also, I think, one of the features for 1.2 that may or may not get in is moved to class-based generic views. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that happens. But so uh, that's about it. Just credits. Um, that's where you can find me online. Uh, so yeah, just quick some things that you might want to look out for.
carrying the living on, but it really never happened. Sprints are definitely good. Uh, right now, we don't have the energy or the the and time to get something for December and, and squeeze into everybody's schedules. Um, but they're planning on making it a regular thing, so it's probably something we'll do in the future. So. Uh, it's Yeah. So as far, as far as physical locations, it's wherever there's enough people uh, to put in the energy to organize it. Otherwise, the main idea is that there will always be at least one core contrib on um, IRC available to talk to. Um, and generally, there'll just be more people active that can answer questions quickly and be ready to do so. Um, so yeah, if you're looking to contribute to Django, good way to do it. Um, right now, it's a bit of a funny time in that uh, it's kind of the push for 1.2. So if you have a new thing that isn't on the feature list, um, which if you go to the uh, Django wiki, it's relatively easy to find. Um, yeah, so if there's something that's not on that feature list, you're going to have to advocate pretty hard to get it in there. Well, yeah. or, or you do but. the code and it works perfectly and you say, here's this done feature, would you like to include it? That's right. also another possibility. Yes, code there. speaks much, much louder than most anything. The risk there is you definitely want to still talk to somebody first uh, in that if you make the code and they say, yeah, that's never going into Django, you probably just wasted some time. Um, but yeah, so talk to people, help out, that'll be good. But there are a decent number of tickets that uh, have been accepted, but definitely need some legwork. Um, so if you're looking to kind of get your name out there and, and to help uh, feed some stuff back, it's a good way to do it. So uh, I think that'll be everything, unless anybody had any questions about all of that. Um, and we'll probably just chat here for a little bit while I clean up and then uh, head out to Rebar.